0: Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hello. How's it going? Today, we are talking about Don't Look Up. What are the most updated estimates on this trajectory? Kate. I've been running it all day. I, I keep getting the same result. A direct hit of Earth in six months and 14 days. Me too. Matthew, what are your calculations?
1: Um, uh, the program is saying six months 14 days.
0: We got six months and 14 days.
1: And it's roughly 5 to 10 kilometers wide. Which, which, uh, isn't that an extinction-level event?
0: Well, let's not be
1: dramatic here this is an american satirical science fiction catastrophe dark comedy directed by adam mckay the cast includes dominic cobb katniss everdeen eleanor shaw lady galadriel officer powell officer morton schmidt the bfg medea paul atreides hellboy cat valentine mr rager and jack malik
0: I watched this movie on Netflix Joey how did you watch it
1: I also watched it on Netflix and let me just say what a joy it is to use a phone a mobile phone application that doesn't fucking suck I've watched so many movies on HBO Mid on my freaking phone through the Chromecast, and it's such a pain to use. Netflix was a breath of fresh air They don't have to make you open the app and say, oh, you've lost your connection every time you <laughs> want to rewind 30 seconds.
0: So, All right. Well, we can definitely appreciate a good user interface. Thank you, Netflix. Also, just I want to appreciate uh a moment that netflix gave me was when the first time i found out of this movie i opened up netflix and i was like whoa leonardo dicaprio like surrounded by all these other celebrities what is going on here like this <laughs> the the absolute star-studded cast uh that like was put on display really enticed me to see this movie oh yeah um and me too. I, I think uh i don't know netflix is good at that so um okay so let's start off our discussion of this movie by recapping the events in the synopsis that you wrote joey so let's let's get that started
1: a comet is headed straight for earth and it is going to make a direct impact in less than seven months kate dibiaski the young woman who discovered it and her mentor and friend dr randall mindy immediately call nasa and explain the situation They are paired up with Dr. Oglethorpe of the Planetary Defense Coordination Office and General Themes of the Pentagon to brief the President of the United States on our impending doom. After being scammed out of some petty cash by General Themes, President Orlean makes the scientists wait overnight in a motel before meeting with them. The President is dealing with the fallout from a controversial Supreme Court nominee.
0: Kate and Dr. Mindy explain that the comet will impact the Earth and destroy all life, but the president is not impressed. She tells them that they need to sit tight and assess the situation before any action can be taken. So the pair of scientists and Dr. Oglethorpe go to the press and begin a media tour. They appear on a show called The Daily Rip that talks about the daily news in an upbeat and, dare I say, affable tone. (laughs)
1: dr mindy
0: stumbles through his explanation and kate explodes yelling that we are all going to die what follows is a series of depressing public reactions no one seems to listen or care and many that do hear the news dismiss it as alarmist or fake kate grows disillusioned and dr mindy grows in popularity His appearance on the Daily Rip gives him the title of AILF, Astronomer I'd Like to Fuck. He starts getting into fights with idiots on the internet.
1: The political situation for President Orlean begins to shift, and she decides it'll be advantageous to address the comet situation directly. She initiates a plan to deflect the incoming space rock, and NASA mobilizes to complete it. With the whole world watching a manned shuttle and several drones take off into the atmosphere, Next stop, Comet. Only President Orlean is interrupted during the launch by Peter Isherwell, the third richest man in history, the CEO of Bash Cellular, and an overall weirdo. Peter has discovered that the comet is filled with rare minerals that are extremely valuable to a tech company like Peter's. He convinces President Orlean to cancel the deflection mission and let Peter and his considerable resources mine the comet for profit. Dr. Mindy is appointed as President Orlean's chief science officer. He also begins cheating on his wife with one of the
0: hosts of the Daily Rip. Kate starts a riot and disappears off the grid, completely disillusioned by this new development. She attempts to go home to her parents, but they want the comet to hit the earth because of the jobs that it will supposedly create. They also tell her they don't want to deal with politics. Dr. Mindy challenges Peter's plan, insisting that it be peer-reviewed, and pointing out plenty of failure points. Peter tells (laughs) Dr. Mindy how he will die.
1: I didn't realize how many P's there were in that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, Mindy's wife discovers the affair and, betrayed, leaves him. At this point, the world is completely at odds. Only a third don't want the comet to hit, and another third don't even believe there is a comet.
0: Kate gets involved with a group of young street thugs who happen to be fans of her no-nonsense attitude. There, she meets Yule, a sweet, secret evangelical Christian. While lying with Yule on a roof, she finally sees the comet in the sky. The sight of the comet re-energizes Kate, Dr. Mindy, and Dr. Oglethorpe to stop it. Dr. Mindy, who was previously attempting to reassure everyone, changes his tune and bluntly tells the world that we are all going to die. The small group call upon other countries to rally and launch their own deflection missions. They begin a movement called Just Look Up to help gain support.
1: In response, President Orlean backs the refrain, don't look up, and tells the world to trust Peter Isherwell and his insane plan. Russia and China's plan to deflect the comet fails, and with it, the world's last hope other than Peter's. His drones launch toward the comet as the world holds its breath. Mindy, Kate, Yule, and Oglethorpe go to Mindy's house. Mindy apologizes to his family and asks that they all have one last meal together.
0: Peter's drones fail spectacularly, and he and the president escape on a tiny spaceship. On the way, the president calls Mindy and offers him two seats. He refuses, content to die with his family and friends. Yule says grace at the table. Uninhibited, the comet strikes the Earth, destroying all life.
1: In the post credit scene, President Orlean and Peter, as well as several other people on the space arc, land on an alien planet. They are immediately attacked by large bird-like creatures.
0: The End There we have it. The events of Don't Look Up. Let's begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Don't Look Up?
1: What I like about this movie is that it's relevant to right now, and it feels like it captures so much about how I feel in this current moment. I also really like the story. I think it's very different than a lot of disaster movies. I think that the acting... Elevates this movie to a new level um, Especially from such recognizable uh, Faces um, And there's just a lot going on And I think it's also fun to talk about And also It's not subtle It's really not subtle it's, <laughs> And I think yeah. that's good That's a really good thing
0: I definitely agree it's not subtle um, I liked the way that this movie was edited There's all these sequences of images That come between scenes And also these uh kind of hyper edited social media sequences that try to give you the feeling of like the whole internet being displayed to you at once i thought all that was very well done i thought this movie was funny and uh you know even if it's dark there was definitely some good laughs in here i thought the plot was interesting with a lot of twists and turns uh it kept me invested and it felt like the movie kind of redefined itself a few times throughout based on uh the situation with a comet like it didn't just stay with oh we're ignoring it or we don't trust scientists like it it develops beyond that uh i agree this the cast is amazingly star-studded as we've already mentioned this movie is incredibly dense it's long but it's also got so much in it uh reviewing this movie to to, for this podcast like preparing i was like there's so much to talk about uh there's so so many different things were brought up uh it, and also the movie is discussing an important topic uh and which i you know obviously if i think it's an important topic then i think that's important and <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> uh and also this movie featured kid cuddy's humming in the uh just look up song which is that
1: significant for some
0: reason it's very significant kid cuddy <laughs> fans love kid cuddy his humming and you don't always get Kid Cudi's humming when he's featured on a song, and I was uh, pretty surprised that he got that in this movie. Uh, I thought he did fantastic, so that was yeah. I
1: was not aware of that meme, so that did, went
0: way over my head. That was—it's not even a meme. It's just a legitimately good. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's let's move on to our cons, Joey. What did you not like about Don't Look Up?
1: There's a big kind of plot hole that's sort of covered up at the end which is where are all the other countries why is it take so long for everyone else to act on this why is it just the US um th- there's lots of b-roll but not a lot of perspective from ordinary people um again I, like you said the movie is dense but there's like you get kind of flashes but you don't get a lot of scenes of like how ordinary people are reacting to it you just kind of get these key players and like speaking of b-roll what is with all of that like there's so much like just random scenes of people like kind of like just sitting or walking or doing things and then there's like all these like nature scenes too i like, i think i understand what the point of it is but like i i don't know you said you really liked the editing i think the editing serves a purpose but for me it was very distracting and the part of that was the b-roll um yeah the, the close like the really quick cuts and disorienting close-ups uh i don't know uh didn't do a lot for me what about you what did you not like about this
0: I felt like some of the satire was heavy handed Um, and I know that like it's a good thing this movie isn't subtle but at the same time um, I think that that can affect your message and how it comes across especially when it comes to people who don't agree with you and and I don't think this movie is going to change many minds. Um, I think it's decently divisive and that's going to make dealing with the issue at hand that much harder if we're uh, you know Contributing to the uh, partisanship on something like this that maybe doesn't need to be partisan. Uh, and and we, can, we can discuss that a little bit more. And I also feel like this movie does not inspire a lot of hope. Uh, it is no, easy to walk away from this and be like, well, we're screwed. There's no point in even trying, uh, which is not a great feeling. So uh, those are our pros and our cons. Let's move on to our overall section. And I'll get us started by saying... Movies are a great way to escape from real life for a few hours, transport to a fictional world with characters who don't actually exist and witness events that didn't actually happen. While technically Don't Look Up is a science fiction movie, it's loaded with real-life topics that constantly remind you that this film is very much a commentary on the world that the viewer lives in. For me, this brought about a feeling of frustration and anxiety that lasted pretty much throughout the entire film. And while I can appreciate a movie that can evoke an emotional response, these are tough emotions to appreciate. (laughs) However, I do think this is at least partially the point. Don't look up as an allegory for climate change, and climate change isn't supposed to be a comforting topic.
1: For me, it's so hard to separate my feeling about this movie from the feelings I have about the rest of the world. And this is not a political podcast. We've always sort of skirted around that. But for me, this movie is staring at a certain group of people directly in the face and screaming at the top of its lungs. And for me, that's so cathartic because it's exactly what I want to (laughs) do. And there's a lot going on here. So I think we should break it up into pieces. I want to start with like the movie, movie part of this Mm -hmm. movie. Um... Leonardo DiCaprio is so great. He really captures that anxious, eager-to-please attitude that I think all of us feel in stressful situations. It says so much that he's more frightened of the stage than of the planet-killing comet. And Jennifer Lawrence's indignity and clear-headedness capture a frustration that I think is really hard to describe. It's just, but it's you can see it in her face really easily. And this is not just the—it's not just the current problem. It's every problem on top of each other, all at once. That causes that like unbearable frustration and both of these performances don't just sell the movie for me they make it feel real and i really want them to succeed even though i know they're destined to fail also meryl streep she's amazing she's such a good villain she's so slimy and short-sighted i think she's meant to represent a very specific president but for me that character represents every person with that kind of power brutal uncaring selfish vain she's the worst but she's also our like main character's only hope and i think that's a pretty cool dynamic to explore i also like i mentioned I really like the the story. I think it's brilliant. Obviously, the whole thing is a metaphor, but I don't think they get bogged down in making one-to-one comparisons. Uh, It's sort of a high-concept idea, and the characters sell the big problems. The comet as the central motivator sparks things to spiral out of control in every direction and at every opportunity. Almost nothing goes right, and even when it does, it soon fails anyway. And yet the movie is quick. It's full of these sudden cuts and those disorienting close-ups. It moves from scene to scene at breakneck speed. And those are stylistic choices I thought detracted from the movie's message. But it gives the movie the feeling of a comedy, even though the situation is anything but funny. And I think there's a lot of value in making this somewhat wacky. Humans are weird, and everything is just so complicated. Nothing is ever straightforward. Even a comet coming to destroy us all is not an easy thing for people to understand or comprehend. It draws into focus our inevitable deaths, our precariousness on a small blue marble, and the nature of our institutions. It's hard and often absurd to be a person, and it makes sense to me that a movie that seeks to emphasize our responsibilities while being accessible needs to take on that most human quality of rough edges and general irrational. Ability. Any thoughts on that?
0: No, I think that's that's succinct. Um, I I do think there's a lot to enjoy about um, Don't Look Up as a movie, um, and it. But it, like you said at the beginning, it's really tough to detach that from like what it means <laughs> to you as a real life person. Um, yes. I. But I agree. I mean, like the the acting was amazing. I thought the story was interesting. It's funny. Again, I was a big fan of the edit. I felt like this movie felt really unique in the way that it was edited Uh, i didn't feel really like i was watching even a different adam McKay movie uh because i do think that vice which is probably the most adam McKay movie that i can think of because he does other movies that are more like not very political at all and um vice kind of feels similar in a similar vein to this movie because of the subject matter, and this movie felt very distinct even from that movie, uh, yes. which had its own distinct feel um so i uh I can definitely appreciate it for all those aspects
1: no it's it's interesting that he's like that he switches genres like that to tell the you know to more effectively tell the story because vice definitely feels like a biopic, even though it's sort of satirical and you know kind of tongue in cheek it's you know it's a postmodern or you know part of you know the modern age of film when you're trying to tell a story like this you can do it in a a slightly different way there's certainly dramatic elements of vice but and it is sometimes funny but this movie is way more comedic in its deliveries and the way that it's shot there's all these scenes where people are saying something and then it um Cuts in the middle of their sentence to, you know, kind of emphasize that it doesn't matter or um, it's uh, this is like a you know, throwaway thing or like this person is just, you know, bullshitting. Um, I think all of that is, uh just kind of adds to this and makes the movie more accessible. I think that um, some people find it preachy, but honestly, like I was reading a lot of reviews, I was trying to find like negative reviews. That i could agree with there were some people that said they didn't like the editing which i also felt like the excessive use of b-roll felt like a weird choice um but um i don't know i i think that people's criticism of this movie as far as saying that the metaphor is too blunt or that it's not subtle enough are wrong i think that this is for a topic like this subtlety is un- is overrated right I think that if you're trying to sell people a message, you're trying to say this is how things are and this is what we, uh, the the problems we're facing. There's no point in beating around the bush. And I think that's also one of the messages of this movie is to be straightforward and not not try to sugarcoat anything. Let's talk as if uh, we understand each other instead of trying to constantly undermine each other. And I don't know, like, for me that's that's refreshing um and that's complemented with this anxiety and this frustration um that I feel constantly but was <laughs> brought to a like a po- a point while watching this movie.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I do think there's a lot of catharsis for people who go into this movie already feeling a certain type of way uh because you get to see I mean, for me, the, I think the biggest moment of catharsis is actually getting to see the disaster realized because yes. until the disaster happens, it's never going to happen, right? It's right. it's it hasn't happened yet, so we shouldn't be part of the solution until there's a problem that we decide is actually tangibly real. And um, so to be able to see, it's like, okay, this actually is what happens. And now everything's ruined. And the people who denied it and didn't take, like the, pe- the people in power who didn't take proper action, they're proven wrong, you know? And that's yes. kind of nice. But at the same time, it's like, this is just a movie. Uh, you know, you can obviously, if you don't agree with the premise, you can say, well, that's made up and that's not actually going to happen anyways.
1: Yeah, so the comet doesn't map one-to-one with climate change, right? Right, right. Um, And it doesn't, and I think that when I was watching this movie, I wasn't thinking so much about climate change as I was the coronavirus. Um, But, and I think, and actually, like when you look at the history of this movie, uh, it was originally written before the pandemic as a metaphor for climate change. And then it was rewritten um, to incorporate elements of the coronavirus uh, just kind of media frenzy. Um, and, but I don't think either of those things, like directly addressing either of those things uh, benefits the movie. And I think that having it kind of be a little bit more vague and not map one-to-one is to this movie's benefit. Um, to me, Don't Look Up is a cautionary tale about our inability to decipher truth from fiction. You may even say it's a critique of existentialism. which is when a person's individual meaning takes priority over all other meanings. This problem, not knowing what is true and having no way of figuring it out, is not unique to the pandemic or to climate change. It is present in many, many aspects of life. In fact, it's almost a feature of American society. For centuries, uh, large corporations and their marketing teams have been planting lies to manipulate people. But now in 2022, that we see that phenomenon reach a a whole new potential. Not only are the lies more extreme and more insane than ever before, the stakes could not be higher. Billions of human lives hang in the balance. Our very nation hangs in the balance. The first anniversary of January 6th was a couple of days ago. People stormed the Capitol because of what's called the big lie. I don't think I need to use a lot of examples here. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Which brings me to my favorite parts of this movie. When Kate and Dr. Mindy tell people about the comet, everyone reacts in dramatically different ways. But in the end, there was one group that believed a comet was coming to kill us all and another group that didn't want to do anything about it. Don't look up versus just look up. For some, belief in the comet and its danger was chalked up to politics, which implies it is simply a difference of opinion. But that wasn't the case, and neither is it the case in many of the real-world arguments this movie is attempting to satirize. It's not opinion that the world is getting warmer and that we can do something to stop it. It's not opinion that masks and vaccines keep people from getting sick and dying. It's not opinion that our institutions are built to benefit white people while disenfranchising everyone else. And yet, these things are treated as if there are two sides, and that both of these sides have merit. The truth is, one side is stating facts and the other is simply lying. For me, it's not about having a robust debate about theory or how to structure our society. It's about saving people's lives and giving everyone the same opportunities I enjoy and more. It is so frustrating when one side seems to genuinely care and the other is just playing word games and scoring points. I'm not playing a game. The comet is coming to kill us. Ultimately, Just like in this movie, I believe this will be our downfall. Our inability to communicate with each other, to hear each other, and to sort through the lies and get to what is really happening will keep us from recognizing imminent danger until it is far too late. Without a common set of facts, we are at the whim of the powerful and the rich. Unless we can figure this out, we will tear each other apart as the world burns
0: around us. Yeah, I think that's really salient. And um, I've heard people refer to the time that we're living in as the post truth era. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that makes, like, that tracks. It definitely does track. (laughs) It is so difficult to find common ground with people you disagree with because it just seems like there's no way to land on a common set of facts and truth. And uh, while. You know, you might have all of the necessary uh, evidence on your own quote-unquote side to prove your stance. It's um, completely possible that somebody can find their own set of facts that uh, substantiates their stance, and then now how can you find common ground when you have this contradiction? It just seems impossible, and um, while insanely frustrating, again, it is i use this word again, cathartic to see that on uh, the screen because it's like, yes, that is what it's like. And it, it seems like a completely impossible situation. Um, and, and I think that um, wh- like one of the main things this movie pushes is this uh, kind of opinion on science and scientists uh, because first and foremost, this movie wants you to trust scientists and trust the scientific process. The phrase peer-reviewed comes up a bunch of times. And it's propped up as the gold standard of determining objective fact. Of course, the objective fact in this movie is that a comet is going to hit the earth in six months. And the only choice they have is to redirect it. The hard part is convincing people that the science is true. But at the same time, this movie brings up another problem with trusting science. And that is that scientists can be corrupted. Dr. Jocelyn Calder from uh nasa or not she's the head uh, of nasa appointed
1: by dr by by president orlean yeah
0: yeah she doubts and she's not even an astronomer she's like a she's a
1: anesthesiologist
0: right right she (laughs) doubts the comet science and calls it near miss hysteria uh which i thought was hilarious that's like so good to come up with that like that (laughs) sounds like the jargon that would be used for this um And this is quickly, in the movie, this is quickly explained as political bias because a quick internet search reveals that she's a president orlean super donor. But what if this information wasn't so readily available? How are we supposed to know which scientists to trust and which ones have been corrupted? Or is the point in this movie to say that we can't know?
1: I think that it's more depressing than that. I think that the fact that this information exists does not matter to many people, right? The fact that the, it's, it's just about hearing what you want to hear. It's about believing what you want to believe and then finding facts that support that, right? It's not, uh, or not facts, but, you know, people saying whatever, right? You can point to this and say, this is why I'm going to do this. is because this person said it. And when you point out that person can't be trusted, then suddenly, you know, it, it doesn't matter because like, oh, you're just saying that because you disagree with me. Right well, when, right And it, uh, it, a lot of these like, arguments start to become semantic arguments, and it's so frustrating watching like, your own tactics get used against you. When you say, "Hey, this isn't true, right? You are just saying, you're just believing what you want to believe," someone else just turns that straight around, and your, your opponent in this argument says, uh, "No, that's what you're doing." It's not me, you know. Right, exactly. What's the third grade argument? Um, uh, I know you are, but what am I? Uh, It's such a, it's it's still relevant and powerful today. Um, And (laughs) like, uh, that's the thing is that that's that's like so crazy about this is that um, you can just leave out certain things and allow people and give people the excuse to act in the way that they want to act um, ultimately um it's sort of like when peter isherwell calls out um uh randall mindy for being a what's he, a lifestyle uh consumer or something like that where he pretends to lifestyle have ideals. idealist that's right he, ha- he pretends to have idea uh, like ideals and he pretends to have virtues but really he just does whatever he wants he uh he chases after pleasure and runs away from play- uh, from pain um and I think that a lot of people act like that. I think that I probably act like that, too. It's it's um you you think that you're acting under this certain umbrella, but really you're just justifying your actions uh, after you do them.
0: Yeah, no. And I mean, it's kind of makes sense that you would do that. I don't know if I should really defend that kind of lifestyle, but it makes sense that you would run away from pain and towards pleasure. Like that <laughs> seems like very base instinct there. Um, But, yeah, so I don't know. It just, it left me in a a place that I feel like I was already at going into this movie where it's like, what a frustrating uh, situation to try to figure out what is real and and who to trust.
1: I think that this movie is not going to change anyone's mind. And I also don't think that's the point of it. I think it's supposed to document what's happening right now. And I think that, you know, it is extreme. It certainly is like an, an exaggeration. But... I think it captures a certain feeling and it shows a certain uh, phenomenon that is certainly based in reality. You know, it's a, it's a lie that tells the truth, I think. Okay. And so um, I think it's powerful for that reason. I think that if we survive long enough for this movie to become history, <laughs> that it will become an interesting node to look back on and say, this is what, you know, this is what engage people, back in 2022 and this is this was the general feeling of the time um because you can point to so many things that this movie references uh to um you know build its its story all around
0: i think i like that take um because i agree i don't think this is going to change very many minds Um, but let's talk about some more of these things that it's capturing because another topic that definitely gets covered in this movie is media culture and our first deep dive into media is with the daily rip hosted by jack and Bree. And yes. uh, I, which is Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry. And I thought they were both fantastic. Um, <laughs> they were great. <laughs> I is this uh, was kind of reminiscent of Tyler Perry in the uh, in Gone Girl, where he's yes. playing like a more subtle role than Tyler Perry might be he's famous for. He's a great actor. He is great. I love seeing him. I want to see him in more stuff. Um, and he was he was funny in this one, playing like the very, uh, you know, bubbly and uh, positive, affable. like insanely, po- yes, affable. And I think that that's very appropriate that you connect that dot because um, we definitely cash out on the nice uh, connotation for that word. And uh, there's de- it's definitely not bulletproof you know right. and having the ability to take on difficult subjects with seriousness and controversy i think is a admirable trait and shying away from that doesn't make you better than it um, and i think that that's exactly what um, the daily rip is supposed to lampoon is this idea that like always being positive about what's going on is not productive uh, the show makes our scientists wait to go on after a story about political drama and then an interview with a celebrity, which are both like essentially fluff pieces, uh, and, but they're treated like with the, like they're so like epically important. And then we finally get to our scientists and they're not even taken seriously. Like we talked about before, like Dr. Mindy can't get his point across and Kate explodes and um they get turned into memes which it's always interesting to see movies take on internet culture like to, to yes. try to depict internet culture and i thought the memes that they came that came out of this were pretty good like i thought, I thought they they looked somewhat realistic
1: yeah and her like you know like put on top of people's uh you know different situations compared to different like scared looking animals and stuff i thought that was uh yeah, you know they weren't super like great but i feel like they you know they sort of captured the low effort um (laughs) like quick nature of like a meme like that i think
0: yeah and i think you can't i don't know you can't depict the situation without memes so i give it a passing grade at the very least on uh their depiction of (laughs) internet memes but uh like at least they weren't all top text bottom text you know that's true but um, (laughs) but later in the movie dr mindy returns to the daily rip after president orleans gives her speech on the battleship and he's taken more seriously about the comet Uh, like it actually seems like Completely productive, almost an endorsement of this kind of show. And then even later, during the Just Look Up movement, Dr. Mindy is on the show again, and he rants about people not taking the comments seriously. And my question is, like, what conclusions are you supposed to draw uh, from this? Are talk shows like this supposed to be bad, um, or are they just sometimes misguided? I think the my most concrete takeaway is that toxic positivity is a thing, and and this show kind of purports that, but it's not necessarily. Um, The whole, I don't think that that encapsulates the entire depiction of the Daily Rip in this movie.
1: I think that it's more a criticism of scientists and their inability to clearly define their message. Um, Because I think that it's like, it's important. It's not an easy thing necessarily to say what's happening, right? But this, a comet, is probably the most easy. Uh, scientific phenomenon to explain to someone because everyone knows what that is yeah. and knows like how like how the dinosaurs died is like a colloquial thing, right? So um, I think you have to prepare for that, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's an easy concept to potentially show, but you do have to prepare for it. And I think that, you know, Dr. Mindy in the green room is like, uh, what, do we sh- what should we say? How do we say this? Whatever. It's like, yeah, you should have been having this conversation you know for weeks like you should be talking about how to most concisely and most effectively deliver this message um and i think that's something that uh, was done to partial success for cl- for uh the coronavirus and like very little success in climate change it gave the reactionary right plenty of time to come up with their own arguments against it instead of hitting it hard with this is what's happening this is why it's important this is what we can do about it. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's really where it comes down to because ultimately Dr. Mindy utilizes his, the platform that Daily Rip gives him to great effect. Um, and I think that's kind of his arc is, you know, kind of he's coming to terms with his responsibility and how to effectively communicate that problem. Um, yeah, so I, I felt like that was really, really, very realistic having the scientist unable to explain why a comet hitting the earth is a bad thing. Um, And then for him to eventually come up with a solution to that, I think um, was again, effective, Um, but also too late.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, but I think that's a really good thing to point out is that just because they are protagonists doesn't mean that everything they do is perfect or, or uh, correct. Like they were bad at messaging initially and they're not, they're not without fault in all of this. Uh, And we like to think that
1: the most important stuff rises to the top, but the truth is that it's really hard to tell what's important, right? And the Daily Rip is their goal is to create a good show. It's not to tell people the news. So when they get this opportunity, they have to use that in the stuff. And sure, like they could have, the Daily Rip could have, like uh, hosts and production crew and everything could have recognized this as important and helped them. But, um, they all. I think the scientists certainly held part of the blame in uh, being unable to say what was really happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, has definitely um, improved my perspective on the depiction of the Daily Rip. Uh, another uh, depiction of media that they uh, go over here is when Kate and Dr. Oglethorpe go on the Sunday shows. Is that like a colloquial term for the pol- political shows that are on, on Sundays, where usually like Congress people will go on? um that's what my there's a whole
1: bunch of them i don't know if there's like a i don't know if they were grouped into a category oh okay
0: well that's just my what my dad called them but like they're the shows that are on <laughs> on sundays that yeah. a lot of times because they're not working like congress people senators you know people from Like the federal government will go on and be interviewed on these different shows uh, and just talk about politics you know it's an opportunity for them to go out there and get their message out and on the Sunday shows that are depicted in this movie it's just very short but it's Dr. Oglethorpe and Kate arguing with some congressmen who say that they don't trust the science about the comet and their argument basically like boils down to like well you have the same name as the comet
1: that was hilarious So yeah which
0: I yeah I was dying because <laughs> that was so funny that works because they
1: name of course they name the comet after the woman who's who who's discovered it right yeah there's a there's an undercurrent of sexism present in here and Definitely. dr mindy like deferring to her to deliver the bad news constantly is like <laughs> hilarious and then like yeah it's like oh the like the comet that you discovered has your name therefore how can we trust you we think you're on the side of the cop. right it's It's so it's so good it's so good because it's like it's such an an asinine argument but that you but you have no idea where to start exactly
0: it's such an asinine argument but it's also an argument that you know people will be like oh that's a slam dunk like that, like epically owned you know congressman (laughs) destroys uh you know triggered uh, sorry, scientist yeah. on yes, Sunday right. shows, you know? Uh, so I thought that one was really well done. And uh, But my favorite criticism of our media culture, it comes from the cameo from Chris Evans as oh God, Devin Peters talking about his movie Total Devastation, which is set to come out on the day that the actual comet will hit the earth, And which I just think everything about this is hilarious.
1: Like, <laughs> the marketing team is genius for this. <laughs>
0: like he's wearing a pin that has arrows that point both up and down and he just wants everyone to stop arguing and he just comes across like a complete buffoon and i think this it does a great job of lampooning fence riders who refuse centrists. to take a position yeah
1: yes no i i think that a lot of there's a lot of grief given to centrists that probably isn't um where oriented but uh, they certainly are frustrating. Definitely, <laughs> because it's like, uh, yeah. Again, it's like the both sides argument. It's like, oh well, both sides have like that's just a heuristic. You're just saying that because you don't actually want to think about the problem. So anyway, right? No, I love that. But, I, but at the same I, time, I, capitalizing
0: I was, on the. the I like, was
1: so I was like clenching my fists and cheering at that moment. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's like more general media. Um, let's talk a little bit more about social media because. Most of the depictions of social media in this film happen in these fast-cut, hyper-edited sequences that transition uh, one major event to the next. You know, something major happens, and then boom, explosion of internet reaction. Yeah. And I thought these looked cool, and they did a pretty good job of summarizing what social media is and what the, gen- like the internet is in general. I-, I don't think that's something you can really capture in a bottle. Uh, and having this kind of impossible-to-see-all-of-it quick clouds of reactions and people shouting over each other i think that that pretty much captures the essence uh, it, well enough as well as you can in a in a movie and um but the role that it played in this movie made me feel like social media is nothing more than a cancer that makes <laughs> problems more difficult to deal with idiots feel empowered to speak over experts conspiracy theorists spout their conspiracies everything gets polarized and nothing productive gets done and maybe that's accurate but i didn't see this movie necessarily suggesting any solutions other it just points out social media is bad uh and one of the most blunt ways it does that is with hashtag launch challenge and i always think about this when movies depict these like stupid challenges because we've seen them before they've happened and it's you still aren't done with them. Uh, like, it, it doesn't feel like it's a relic of early internet oh. or, or early social media. No,
1: no, no, The milk crate challenge. The milk crate that challenge, I know. Just a couple months ago. <laughs> it
0: just happened. So it's like, even though I look at something like this and I'm like, that's incredibly stupid. Like, no, people would not launch fireworks into their nose or whatever. Because <laughs> yes, they would. But now, but, but they would, exactly. They like, would. People
1: like, love clout. It's insanely frustrating. And they will put their bodies on the
0: line yeah or cloud no it's but that's the thing it's insanely frustrating to look at and be like this isn't fair this isn't fair to say that this is what would happen and maybe that exact thing wouldn't happen but no. some other thing would happen for sure
1: absolutely no uh, I it has happened. my eyes
0: like the i wasn't great challenge i happened. wasn't
1: even laughing i was just like oh yeah of course
0: so it's uh, <laughs> like
1: it, it's so obvious yeah uh I but I think, I think i think
0: what you've said because i'm i'm kind of uh recontextualizing yes like my take on this movie is evolving a little bit because while this is all frustrating and i don't see them su- submitting any solutions that maybe isn't the point and it's maybe just to capture this moment and say this is what the internet was like was doing at this moment yeah.
1: i think that some of the i think the social media stuff is good because it ultimately is so inconsequential um you, you, when they start the "just look up" movement and get this kind of explosion on social media, you get like a, a kind of a hint, maybe, just maybe, everyone's going to change their minds. You know, people are going to get on the same on page on the same page and everything. But then, you know, it's immediately countered with the "don't look up" movement, which has just as much of a uh, media presence as the other side does, right? And they even have a guy. Like spouting conspiracy theories, and then another guy saying, "Don't listen to that guy," which is amazing. <laughs> like that's exactly the like the ecosystem that I like spent a lot of time in on YouTube. So like it's yeah. hilarious seeing them them kind of point that out. But ultimately, like it doesn't matter, right? The, they get a lot of people on board. A lot of people are posting about it, but it's not enough to change anything. And a uh, a, a similarly powerful movement rises to meet it right so like it, it ends up like nothing happening and um sure like they they gauge like social media reaction and say like oh this is how people perceive this event um but like again ultimately it sort of doesn't affect the end result at all it just sort of uh you know uh, makes people miserable for a short minute upon a time
0: yeah. well i i yeah i i definitely agree with that and um, maybe that's a hopeful way to look at it, is that like while annoying <laughs> matter. and not productive, maybe it doesn't matter that much. Um, but something that definitely does matter is the actions that the government takes. Well, that that gets us to President Orlean. And finally, we have a woman president. And not Final. only is she a woman president... Don't you love it that every disaster movie has a black guy or a woman as president? <laughs> I, I don't... I don't think I would say I'd love it, but, um, and I'm also kind of being facetious that it's like, oh, that like inherently is good because obviously President Orlean has No, it's real
1: girl boss energy.
0: Yes, yes. And and, uh, President Orlean, she's a total smoke show who tells it like it is and is constantly battling with the media. She smokes cigarettes and that's a pretty fitting microcosm for her entire administration. She's doing something that causes cancer. And she gets more popular for doing it. She's
1: very short-sighted.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and um, she also contributes uh, to one of the most frustrating lines of dialogue in the entire film.
1: So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? Yeah. Yes. But it isn't potentially going to happen. It is going to happen. Exactly. 99.78% to be exact.
0: Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. Well, scientists
1: never like to say 100%. Call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. You cannot go around saying to people that there's a 100% chance that they're going to die. You know? It's just
0: nuts. This line of dialogue had me tearing my hair out. Like, it's so <laughs> frustrating. This doesn't make any sense at all. And um, it's clear after a little while that her administration has one primary goal, winning re-election. She does not take any action about the Comet until it's clear that dealing with the Comet will help her in the polls. Once re-election has been secured, her secondary goal becomes her primary goal. And the secondary goal is to make her donors happy. Uh, her biggest donor being the third richest man in history, Bash founder Peter Ishwell.
1: Yeah, yeah i um i well they do have they do offer this one explanation which i think is like relevant which is they say um we get these kind of calls all the time every day people are coming in here saying the world's gonna end so like why should we listen to you again like this is a failure of the scientists to effectively give their message and to say like no this is a problem and we have to fix it um and we, like, we don't have a choice in this matter. And I think that um, like, I, I can be kind of sympathetic to that because it's like, how, how, really, how can you parse this? And like, being the president of such a huge country, a very diverse country, and having the responsibility of being you know, the most powerful country in the world. So in effect, being almost, like, the most powerful person in the world, you have, to, you have to make tough choices about what you go after. And as you go along, right, President Orlean has certainly seen more and more slimy and more and more Uh, short-sighted. But in this moment, like, you can kind of see where she's coming from. But again, like, it's the problem is that we're that we have a divide between the people that know this problem and the people that have to have the power, the people that like being able to communicate from one side to the other is the biggest failure uh, and the biggest cause of the failure for this in this movie
0: i think that's definitely worth um pointing out uh because again they definitely, it's it's almost uh, just as frustrating to hear the way that they try to explain the problem because it's, it's like, did you yes. not think about this all night? Did you not practice? You just yes. start, uh, uh. It, it well, they, they, the- think that, they, they think
1: that it'll be obvious to them, right, right? right? They think that if they just say there's a comet coming to Earth, that they'll understand what that means coming from who they are and what they do, but they don't know. Right. They, they, these are just random people from Michigan, you know? So it doesn't... Yeah, exactly. It's frustrating to watch it from every side because it's like one side, the president is not taking this seriously when you know the audience that this is very serious. And then our main characters are totally flubbing it and, and don't seem to understand um, like, that they have to bridge that gap.
0: Well, um, it, it continues like the who her administration is or who she is and what her administration is with her son, Jason Orlean, uh, who is her chief of staff. And played
1: by Jonah Hill.
0: Ch- played by Jonah Hill to hilarious effect. He's disrespectful, he's spiteful, and he's kind of incompetent. He's supposed to lampoon nepotism in our government, He, among other things, but I think that specifically make him related to his mother. Yeah, who is the president, but he also calls his mom a smoke show, and he says, if she wasn't my mother, which is a clear (laughs) allusion to Trump talking about his daughter. (laughs) And the Trump references don't stop there. During the Don't Look Up movement, President Orleans and her associates speak at rallies that are clearly meant to look like Trump rallies. Um, I don't think there's necessarily any problem with this. Trump was the president for four years, so presidents get criticized and made fun of in movies all the time yeah. but i do think that that hurts your chances of being able to change the minds of people that disagree with you and um again maybe that's not the point of this movie but i don't I, I,
1: again I, like yeah. i don't think there's any value in being subtle you know like it's very <laughs> it's very clear to me where some of these problems like come from right i mean uh did some sort of study before Trump was banned off of twitter thirty three percent of all um uh, coronavirus misinformation came from him amazing it's it, it, it takes twelve different people on Facebook to reach that kind of level <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh it's crazy
0: yeah I mean again like if if the intention was to change minds here because I don't believe that climate change has to be a partisan issue, uh, but cheap shots like this serve only to widen the political divide and make an issue like this even more impossible to deal with. And like, if that's not your point, then then you don't have to view this as a failure. But I do feel like things like this in this movie—if you even got somebody who is you know politically right or, or you know on. Uh, on that side of the aisle on this issue, to watch this movie, they'd see that and be like, "Oh, they're making fun of me." and no, now, it's I'm te- a, now i do not with a. Certainly not a
1: fun satire either. It's it's very like, it's very pointed, right? Um, you know, it, it really kind of speaks to a, I don't know, a, kind of the heart of the issue. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, I think from viewing it from that lens, it can be preachy and uh, it can seem really uh, partisan. Um, But again, like I, for me, it's not a matter of politics anymore. Not for issues that like, like this, that actually matter. I mean, if a comet was coming to hit the earth and one group of people said, no, it's not. There's no use in being nice to them.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, And that brings us to big tech and its presence in this film. Uh, So Bash is the stand in for basically all big tech. Uh, it's all kind of united into one big corporation. And that corporation was founded by Peter Isherwell, the f- uh, founder of Bash. And he's played by Mark Rylance, who I think does a spectacular job. His yes. cadence and mannerisms are perfect. Like, you really get the feeling that this guy is on another level of science and tech genius, but like in a weird way that seems <laughs> v- off
1: yes he's so weird
0: (laughs) like the the scene where he's explaining their like strategy for destroying or splitting the comet up he brings in this nobel prize winning scientist and she explains her technology and while she's doing that he like leans in and sniffs her hair and it's like (laughs) kind of subtle and nobody addresses it but it's like what is this guy doing and uh, i just think that his performance was really great um and um yeah so i just wanted to applaud mark rylance in a movie with a lot of great performances he really stood out to oh me. yeah
1: he stands out
0: um and his p- company creates the most popular phones that have just come out with a feature that will tap into your desires and take actions without you asking them to and um i yeah i think that that's definitely kind of uh, an interesting new feature <laughs> uh with <laughs> Right, it's like you're. Fe- we detected you're feeling sad. Here's a f-
1: like a fun video of a puppy riding a chicken, you know. And even then, he's like, "Do you think that you think that's good enough? I think that ch- that bird is very threatening, uh, <laughs> which may be a reference to the end, actually. Yeah, like d- that definitely is.
0: And then um, they've also got algorithms that can allegedly predict the future with striking accuracy. This pays off in a hilarious way in the post-credits scene where. President Orleans is killed by a brontarock, which was predicted without anyone <laughs> yeah, knowing what like, brontarock is. You're going to be
1: eaten by a brontarock. We have no idea what that means. <laughs>
0: Um, but they also undercut the algorithms because uh the algorithm says with almost complete certainty that dr mindy will die alone when in reality he dies surrounded by loved ones and also the fancy algorithms couldn't predict that the comet mission was going to get earth destroyed Um, or maybe it it did and they took the risk anyways like maybe it was like 50 percent success and, and they were like that's good enough for us but yes um you know still they couldn't get they couldn't do everything perfectly with these algorithms so i think bash is one of the best parts of this movie because it feels like they're making a point that we can all get behind these giant tech corporations are getting too powerful and it's our it's in our collective best interest to be aware of that and we probably need to do something about it these greedy corporations will put profits over our well-being so we probably shouldn't listen to them when they argue for letting the comet hit us because of (laughs) how rich it will make us i also really liked that the rich in power Uh, The rich and powerful escaped Earth on a spaceship because it points out another important fact. The climate change, or this climate disaster will mostly only be a disaster for normal people. The rich and powerful will have the resources to survive. So they definitely don't care about stopping it. That's one of the most salient points that this movie makes.
1: Absolutely, right? It becomes increasingly clear when uh, Peter uh, convinces uh, President Orlean to cancel the mission and to go with his new uh strategy that it doesn't matter if this fails or not. Peter's going to be just fine. And that's all he really cares about, right? He can get off of he will either become enormously rich based on you know solving this problem in the way he wants to or he can get off the earth and go somewhere else. He's already got the he's already got the spaceship made. It's that like yeah, blatant escapism that is so dangerous. And actually I have a quote that I want to play That kind of uh, ties some of this together. And when these uh, treasures from heaven are claimed, poverty as we know it, social injustice, loss of biodiversity—all these multitudes of problems are just going to become relics of the past. And humanity is going to stride through the pillars of Boaz and Joachim, naked into the glory of a golden. So, (laughs) get a little bit of taste of uh, Rylance's. Intonation there. It's yes. amazing. Yes. Um but I just finished watching uh Silicon Valley on HBO uh, mid. And um <laughs> I I love that show. I think it's amazing. And one of the central uh themes of it is how Silicon Valley entrepreneurs are constantly saying that they're gonna make the world a better place. Um but really what that means is they just wanna be rich. And this is this reminded me of this perfectly. big tech claims that they are going to save the world we have the solutions to all of the world's problems right here all we have to do is just give us unlimited resources and unrestricted access to those resources it doesn't matter how many people we hurt along the way what will matter is that we saved the world and i got rich and (laughs) this is exactly the same um uh, attitude here and uh, i really like that satirization i think it's uh, very apt
0: I totally agree, and it's again, like I said, the one of the most salient points about this because um I think a lot of the things that are brought up in this movie could have a uh, easy partisan divide, and I feel like this one has the most potential to stretch across the aisle and get people to say, well, yeah, it is uncomfortable our, how much power these tech corporations have.
1: I think it's important to note that this is ultimately a class divide, right. And that is our biggest problem. And if we can bridge that and realize that all of the working class people, underserved people are all in the same boat and we all have a common enemy, (laughs) I think we'll be better off and we may actually get out of this alive.
0: Okay. And with that, I think we're ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. Joey, what do you got?
1: I got this quote from Dr. Mindy right before the launch, the initial launch of the deflection mission. Uh, President Orlean gives him the microphone and he says this. Citizens of planet Earth, everything is theoretically impossible until it is done. And with that, we are go for launch. So this is part of a quote from a man named robert a Heinlein, um the full quote is everything is theoretically impossible until it is done one could write a history of science in reverse by assembling the solemn pronouncements of highest authority about what could not be done and could never happen i don't know if you've ever done this but uh there are websites that like show uh Failed predictions, amazing failed predictions by very famous people talking about how like certain things would never happen. Um, And uh, it's very entertaining to read. And it's actually kind of inspiring because it shows that all these people that think they know better actually didn't know anything um, and were uh, undercut. So uh, this guy, uh, Robert Heinlein, is an American science fiction author, um, aeronautical engineer, and naval officer. Sometimes called the dean of science fiction writers, he was among the first to emphasize scientific accuracy in his fiction and was thus a pioneer of the subgenre of hard science fiction. Um, That was from Wikipedia. So, yeah. Cool. Very cool stuff. Um, I got another one that's, I got a couple other ones that are very quick. Uh, There's a number that they call, that they have that you can call for um help uh, if you're worried about the comet hitting uh dr mindy uh in, um endorses it through a psa to say if you're worried about the comet you can call this line and one of our scientists will put you at ease i called it, it d- it's disconnected it's not a real bummer <laughs> it's just a big disappointment to me <laughs> it doesn't cost that much to maintain that you could have done it for a month or something and finally <laughs> at the end Um, after the world is hit by the comet and lots and lots of things are being thrown into the air um, or into space, there is the bull from Wall Street. uh, You know, the big golden bull that sits there and um, uh, whatever. So at first, when I first saw this, I thought it was a golden calf. uh, But then looking at it closer, it's definitely the bull from Wall Street. But I think both of those fit into a good metaphor, uh, meaning like a false idol Or, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone knows the you know, the golden calf story, but basically in Exodus, the book of Exodus in the Bible, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain. And he says, God, can you give me the commandments? And then he talks to God for a long time. And while he's gone, everyone gets bored. They melt down all their gold and cast it into a giant statue of a golden calf. And they say, this is our new God. Screw Moses and his stupid, and his stupid God. This is our new God. And Moses comes down and is pissed. So he breaks the, the commandments and then has to go back up again. Um, but anyway, it's a metaphor for false idols or false gods. And uh, I think the, the bull from Wall Street as a false god and also as a golden calf uh, fits that metaphor of this movie well
0: yes no and i think that the wall street doesn't play that big of a part in this movie but it definitely gets its mentions uh for instance when they're talking when dr mindy is is doubting the uh peter Isherwell plan for the comet tyler perry is like yeah well have you checked
1: Bash's stock uh yeah like, if uh, stock is any right indication then we're good to go we don't need <laughs> peer like...
0: review and it's like all right awesome thank you um r slash wall street bets and uh, <laughs> like it, i think that that was important to include with like the recent um game stop stock it's hard to say that yeah uh like fiasco that happened where people started to really expose themselves for not understanding what the stock market means while simultaneously purporting to know exactly what it means and um
1: yeah. well haven't you heard gamestop is back baby
0: oh yeah dude i'm never selling i definitely am holding on to those stocks to the <laughs> diamond moon. hands and, yeah diamond hands everything don't even get me started um but yeah i think that's it it's i'm glad they included that in there um also there was like I don't remember exactly which scene this was but during one of those like quick sequences between like major events they had like the stock market way up and then followed yes. by the stock market's way down you know it's like <laughs> just completely random So um yeah so I think I think that's a good easter egg Uh another easter egg was the asteroid that Jennifer Lawrence's character mentions that hit earth 66 million years ago uh in what is now Mexico uh that killed the dinosaurs like uh, the estimated size of that asteroid was 10 kilometers wide. It resulted in 75% of all life on the planet dying. It was known as the Dinosaur Killer, and it left a crater estimated to be 150 kilometers in diameter and 20 kilometers in depth. And um, there's this hilarious sequence that happened uh, that I want to play a quote from where she's where she actually mentions this asteroid. A comet bigger than the asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs is headed directly at Earth. If it isn't deflected, the entire planet dies. Wait, what'd you just say? It's for a video game. Are you being serious? Yes. So I I thought this was hilarious because I don't know if they're referencing this specifically, but in uh, on, you know, the. We live stream on Twitch for uh, for this podcast, twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. Check us out on Tuesday nights. But their Twitch terms of service can be kind of uh danced around or oh my gosh, uh, it's so funny avoided saying <laughs> by saying that whatever you're saying will happen in a video game so if you're like threatening violence against somebody and a lot of the times it's like done as a on accident type of thing or like you say something that's terms of service you can say oh i mean that in minecraft or i mean that yes, in a video exactly game what i
1: was thinking it's exactly what i was thinking when i heard her say that
0: <laughs> yeah that's what it sounds like she's saying is <laughs> like uh the t- dancing around twitch terms of service or whatever other i'm, I'm sure youtube also terms of service similar to twitch but like it became at least a uh, colloquial used phrase in internet live streaming to say whatever you're saying in a video game to right. get around the terms of service so that's i i thought this was a kind of a hilarious uh go-to phrase in a case of an emergency
1: did you notice that there's a guy dressed as a dinosaur in the background when she's talking about this oh i didn't know. there's a guy with a dinosaur costume on uh standing in the street yeah i I saw that in uh in some video they pointed out that's interesting
0: there you go that's a (laughs) real quality easter egg um but uh okay continuing with other easter eggs so uh, i found out to convincingly play his character leonardo dicaprio spoke with real life astronomer and film consultant amy mainzer I think that's how you pronounce her name. And according to Adam McKay, DiCaprio had long conversations about the real mathematics behind it and really did get six months of quality education on orbital dynamics, which, uh, you know, he's a good actor. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to sound convincing about orbital dynamics without knowing what the hell he's saying. But I did think that he sounded pretty, you know, legit. I think, yeah,
1: I think so too. And I think, but I mean, I was I was not as impressed with his mathematics as I was with his demeanor, you know, his ability to uh, like kind of transform into this role where he is a, a poor communicator. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like maybe that's probably a lot of what he got out of this, too, is just like spending time with people that, you know, kind of are used to talking to other scientists and not used to going on media tours, uh, you know, very suddenly. So, yeah, that's that's good. I, uh, I think it paid off.
0: So another one, when asked whether President Orleans is a Republican or Democrat in the film, director Adam McKay didn't reveal, but answered, I don't think either party has much to be proud about over the last forty years. And uh I agree with that. No, I totally agree with that as well. <laughs> although um I feel like the she's no, republican. it's very like obvious it's, it's like trump. He, yeah he's point he's making her a republican so um great answer adam mckay but we i think it's pretty obvious what he did in this film and then finally uh the don't look up chants echo the trump rally participants chanting lock her up like that i felt like that was pretty Ah,
1: uh, yeah no you're th- pretty right. evident it's the same cadence even end with up yeah. There's an L word in there. Lock yeah. her up, don't lock don't uh, which up. Which is yeah. just
0: another example of their like turning President Orlean into uh, yeah, I mean, female Trump. Uh, now, Trump's but, the but best it, at branding, so. Sure, yeah. It's iconic branding. Um honestly, like you would expect a President Orlean potentially to be some sort of subsequent president who is embodying a lot of the stuff that Trump pioneered as far as being yeah. this uh, you know, type of president. So um I thought that was again a cool easter egg but also just like very much on the nose <laughs> i agree all right let's move on to our quotable moment and uh joey i believe you have one
1: i have one we've already done the other one so this is the one i want to talk about
0: the thing of it is, is
1: we we really we really did have everything didn't we So, this ha- is the last line you hear from any of our main characters before the world is destroyed by the comet. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a post-credit scene song plays, but uh, ultimately, this is like the last line in the main part of the movie. And I think um, it seems to serve two purposes for me. I want to get your reaction from this, too. Um, to me, it's saying, you know, like, oh, look at all the things, at- like, really, you know, uh, we had so much to be thankful for, right? They were going around the, uh, around the table saying what they were thankful for, what they were grateful for. Um, and he says, you know, like, really, I, I, you know, I had everything I could ever have, have wanted uh, in my life. But it also, to me, says we had every opportunity to stop this from happening. We had, we had everything. We had the tools. We had the knowledge to do it, but we weren't able to do it for some reason. W- what do you think?
0: I think it for me, it was like a kind of um, you you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Like appreciate what you have while you have it. Like things may seem bleak, but it's actually much better than a planet that's, uh, you know, destroyed. So um, right. Like for me, this is kind of in the same vein as maybe what Yule represented was like this kind of uh, feeling of appreciation and like hope. In, in mm-hmm. a completely hopeless situation, um, which kind of just, I think, elevates the mood to a certain extent in this situation, um, but that's mainly what I got out of it.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: okay. That's all. All right. Let's well, move to the next part. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, um, Joey, I believe you know what time it is.
1: It is time for us to go a little deeper, deeper. So, while uh, looking up reviews and articles about this movie, a couple of articles, uh, one from Vox specifically, uh, mentioned existential threats. And there was this book written by Toby Ord called The Precipice, which talks about all the different existential threats that are going to hit us in the 21st century. And he says that we have a one in six chance of blowing ourselves up or killing ourselves uh in the next century and this uh reminded me also of another time i've heard of about existential threats which was a podcast called the end of the world with josh clark josh clark is the guy behind uh stuff you should stuff you should know or or the the, uh the stuff network basically a whole bunch of these very popular podcasts about like just kind of random trivia and stuff so he he made this 10 part podcast about existential risk and i think it's absolutely fascinating um he says that the next two centuries are going to be the most crucial uh that we've ever gone through in humanity it may be the most crucial we ever go through for humanity um and he, what he talks about is something called the great filter i don't know if this is a concept you've heard of before but um there's this okay there's this concept called the fermi paradox which is basically the universe is ginormous it's so huge and it's so old it is far older than our solar system it's far older than life on on the planet so if life is a like a common thing right if if even if it is very very rare even if it's one in 10 trillion chance we should still see life everywhere and there doesn't like based on the way that our life works we should see it teeming, the universe teeming with life. We should see life everywhere we look, but there isn't. We have yet to see a single, a single evidence of any civilization other than ours. So w- why is that? What, what is going on? So this is the Fermi Paradox. And one of the theories and one of the solutions to the Fermi, Fermi Paradox is called the Great Filter Theory, meaning that every civilization reaches a point of crisis in which they either die or they pass it. And it's possible that no one's ever passed it. And it's also possible that passing it means that they are in very dire straits or they're like very quiet for whatever reason. So Josh Clark says all these existential risks that are coming up in the next century are all great filter opportunities. These are all things that could wipe us off the map. And because we have not discovered any other intelligent life in the universe, wipe intelligent universe from the universe permanently. So, the example that he gives, he it, it says, like, we as a species have always um, dealt with science in a very haphazard way. When we discover something new, we basically just kind of go for it and hope it doesn't kill us. And then we discover through trial and error that we, um, what our mistakes are and how to fix it. He gives an example of a chemist who blows himself up in one of his experiments but the chemist being a good scientist keeps rigorous notes so after that chemist destroys himself in his lab and everything somebody discovers his notes figures out what he did and we all benefit and learn not to do that in the future the problem with this method of science is that uh we can't make that that same mistake for some of the things we're playing with um in the future and he gives three big examples. One of them is physics experiments, talking about uh, physics experiments done in the Large Hadron Collider and other large particle accelerators. There's the potential to create micro black holes that will sit dormant inside the Earth, slowly growing over time until it consumes the Earth in like a couple thousand years. And by the time we realize it, it's too late. Um, there's, there's this famous story uh, when they were testing the nuclear uh, bomb Where Oppenheimer, I believe, said that he believed there was a 3% chance that igniting a nuclear bomb would ignite the atmosphere and would basically destroy everything. And they decided that it was worth the risk, so they did it anyway. It turns out that that didn't happen. Uh, But still, like, there's another opportunity for something to go wrong. And even if, you know, You can imagine physics experiments in the future where that kind of risk is magnified for whatever reason and as we become more powerful and can grasp more technology in the future and we can harness more energy uh the there's a greater opportunity for that to happen there's also the opportunity for a lab leak um which you know some people believe that the coronavirus was a lab leak but um something similar to that where uh, a virus that's being experimented on uh being tested for somehow gets out of the lab and runs rampant throughout the uh society and there are viruses that are extremely deadly they're designed they're, they're designer viruses designed to be to act quickly be extremely contagious and be extremely deadly far more deadly than anything we've ever seen before and would potentially wipe out life on this planet before we had a chance to stop it um and basically, the reason why we do that is so that we can somehow combat them in the future. But in order to do that, we have to design them first. So again, we're playing with fire here. And then finally, AI. If you talk to any sort of computer scientist, I'm sure you would agree with this. We're a long way away from having AI that's any sort of actual intelligence. But I think most you know, researchers in, into AI would agree that it's sort of an accelerating problem once you get to a certain point, it will just get smarter and smarter and smarter until it's the point of no return. And if we give it too much power, then it could devastate our our world. So again, these are mistakes that we can only make one time. We can't learn from these mistakes because once we make them, it's over for us. Um, so uh, I think that the comet hitting the earth and everything, like there's still a chance of something like that happening, although we would spot it from a long way off. And we do have, actual plans in place to stop something like that from happening Um, and the existential risks that josh clark is talking about are far worse than the ones we're facing currently even for climate change but um they they're still like in the future probably going to happen within the next couple of centuries and it is up to us to create the infrastructure to deal with those before they happen so the the solution that he proposes is a international or national committee for existential risk essentially like an epa for existential risk where they would have the authority to review any sort of science that's going on and make decisions about whether this is too risky and and whether or not this should be whether that these experiments should continue or not um which i think is an interesting element although i've never heard anyone talk about it <laughs> and as far as policy goes um but it's uh, I do kind of like that as a solution, even if it does feel kind of
0: messy. Well, if our the way that we've like <laughs> tried to deal with climate change is any indication, there's no chance that would work. <laughs> <like>, yes, <laughs> it's like it's very idealist thinking. But um, that is oh my gosh, talk about uh, anxiety inducing. There's oh yeah. all I didn't, I hadn't even considered micro black holes. <laughs> 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 this is. Oh my goodness. Um insanely frustrating. Um I have heard of the the Fermi paradox before. Um and it also kind of brings to mind the uh, like the simulation theory where yeah. um like if any uh, civilization exists out there that has been able to create like a completely realistic simulation of life. Then the chances that we're in that one of those simulations is far greater than we are in the actual reality. Right. Um, which would make it possible that there's some sort of like reset button or like turn existential crisis off mode that we could enter sure, into. But so.
1: <laughs> it's also it's also like far more likely that whoever is watching this just wants to see what will happen right right don't you think they're like, simulating they to, well, what they're, we would do? it matters yeah. so little if these people live or die
0: uh yeah they're
1: just they're just taking up this hard drive space on my computer so or, or that at any
0: know. moment someone could trip over the power cord and dis like
1: <laughs> yeah. unplug reality for us so it is it is completely up to us in order to <laughs> keep this from happening yeah
0: and i think it's also really hard to conceptualize problems on this kind of scale right yeah like thinking about well in 200 years the you know that is the point where ai might become like the issue that the main issue that our existential crisis and it's like how could you possibly think about that now you know i'm trying to have fun with my friends in the metaverse i'm trying to go shopping on (laughs) walmart.com and use vr goggles to pick up a gallon of milk you know i don't care about what's going to happen in 200 years (laughs) how could i i'll be dead
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think I think what's so fascinating to me is like his proposal that like a lot of our biggest problems are coming are coming up right now, and if we can solve them, then we will have moved ourselves into a new era of humanity in which we will be more prepared to deal with any other salute, any other big problems going forward. Uh, it's just right now when we are still so young and so inexperienced uh, that we have to deal with these really, really important problems. Um, because once we get past that, we'll have been... We'll know how to solve other problems in the future. I think is kind of his argument.
0: Well, let's hope we get it, our act together.
1: <laughs> really, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our discussion on Don't Look Up. And as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will deliver our ratings. And um, I'm going to go first on this one. I'm okay. going to give this movie two tickets for the spaceship that's leaving the planet and also a $30,000 Birkin bag to put all your stuff in.
1: Two tickets to paradise. Yes, paradise. (laughs) (laughs) I give this movie a spot in a time capsule on Pluto so that future generations will know what happened to us.
0: Nice. All right. Well, there you have it. Don't look up. What a way to start 2022. Uh, Affable chat. Four years in and we're... uh, You're still doing this thing, you know, (laughs) going strong, still going on. That's right. (laughs) Um, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Uh, We're doing a Bond
1: film, one of the new ones with Daniel Craig, with a special guest.
0: Yes, I'm very excited. We're going to be doing this one in person, as long as everything (laughs) goes according to plan. And um, I'm really excited to see you and talk to you about Bond, James Bond. Uh, but until that's right, then that's the one yes that's <laughs> no other bond um, but uh you, you, until then you can subscribe to us on spotify itunes or wherever you get your podcasts
1: if you like this episode then tell a friend about it all you have to say is have you considered listening to affable chat
0: you can reach us on twitter instagram and tiktok at affable chat or send us an email affable at gmail.com we also have a youtube channel it's called affable chat affable chat is live on tuesday nights at 7 p.m eastern time on twitch that's twitch.tv slash affable chat come check us out that's going to do it for this episode for affable chat i'm benjamin and i'm joey thanks for listening